Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Welcome back to Roadcase, everybody. This is your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I am so psyched to be here for this episode with Izzy Heltai, and I am so glad that you're here and along for this ride. If you're a regular listener to Roadcase, welcome back. If you're new to Roadcase to listen to my interview with Izzy, welcome to the Roadcase community. There's a couple of different things that you can do to help support Roadcase. First and super easy way is to follow us on socials. You know how to do that. You just click that follow button when you go to our social address at Roadcase Pod. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, we'd just like to say, hey, uh, bring something up that you heard about on the show. I'll answer any questions you have. Send, uh, send us an email at info at roadcasepod.com. If you'd like to find out more information about the show, you can visit our website at www.roadcasepod.com. Another quick and easy way to help support the show is to subscribe to Roadcase on your favorite listening platform. So if you're on Spotify, for example, there's a little box on the Roadcase homepage. It says follow. It's as easy as clicking on that. If you can do that, really helps out Roadcase. Uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts, there's an upper, there's a check mark in the upper right hand corner. You just click on that. Doing so on both those platforms and other platforms will allow you to receive updates as to when new episodes come into the world. And subscribing to Roadcase on any platform really helps out this show. Another easy way to help out Roadcase is to rate and review uh, this podcast on your favorite listening platform. So if you're on Spotify, underneath that aforementioned follow box, there's a little little box with some stars on Spotify. All you have to do is click on that and on Apple Podcasts. Just scroll up a bunch. You'll see some stars. Click on a bunch of those stars and you can write an easy review there. Super easy. Uh, this, this show really relies on the support of you amazing listeners to do those little things that help rise the raise the visibility of Roadcase across all platforms. So I really appreciate it. If you can guys can do that. So I'm really happy to have Izzy Heltai on the show for this week's episode and interview. Really happy to have Izzy here. Uh, he is a young artist, but he's been writing and performing since he was even younger. When he was like 16, he would do open mics. Uh, just really loves the song really loves writing and he has been touring endlessly on his own when he graduated from high school he hit the road and created his own tour uh, often booking in out-of-the-way places along the road everywhere from Ma massachusetts all the way to wyoming and even further out west on his own just some amazing stuff he's a total road dog and just loves to be out there on the road his debut EP entitled Day Plan, five songs written for the end of the world, was released in 2021 and now has several singles out that were released earlier this year. One is entitled Running Out. The other is All of This Beauty. He is just absolutely very authentic to his own aesthetic and really has lovely neo-folk rock vibes, very much influenced by... Uh, 
the classics, Paul Simon, Joan Baez, among others, also including the Avet brothers and his influences. His parents, when he was younger, used to take him to Newport Folk as a kid, being a native of Massachusetts. And he just really took to that level and that genre and really made it his own and his own songwriting. 2022 was an amazing year for Izzy. Uh, he played Bonnaroo, Newport Folk he played in a complete full circle moment for him. And he was also at ACL, uh, toured around the country with Mountain Goats, Deer Tick, uh, Bears Den, among others. And in 2023, uh, we spoke to him. Uh, he j- had just gotten back from a performance, several performances at South by Southwest and is playing Outside Lands in San Francisco in August. Izzy is a trans person. And when I spoke to him, he had just played the Love Rising benefit at the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, a benefit to support the movement against anti-drag legislation and against legislation targeting trans youth in that state. Uh, It was a very, very emotional performance for Izzy, not only because he played in front of about 20,000 people when prior the largest crowd he played in front of was like 800 people, according to him, but uh, just to be there as a trans person and to be able to add his voice in support again against uh, these horrible laws that are being that are passed in Tennessee, uh, anti-drag and anti-trans uh, youth legislation. He had some incredibly profound things to say about this, of course, and we'll get into all that with Izzy. I'm so glad that you're along for this really important and compelling interview with just an amazing human, Izzy Heltai. I want to thank all of you for being here for this episode of Roadcase, and I want to send a special thank you to Izzy Heltai for being here on this episode of Roadcase. And here we go. Izzy, how are you? So good to see you. You too, Josh. I'm, I'm super excited to be here. I love your podcast. So oh, thanks so much. Thanks so much. You honored me by telling me that you were listening to Backseat Lovers, that that I really loved, um, and how hard it, I'm, 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 I'm so, it's so nice to be able to sit down and chat with someone one-on-one. I had backseat lovers, not that it wasn't fun, but I had the four guys on and it was kind of hard, but you said you related to them because they were just so young and became, um, you know, really well-known early on. Like, what was that that resonated with you about that? Not that this is like the podcast about my own podcast, but since you brought it up, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh no absolutely well i was just i mean like we were speaking about before i was just like commenting of of how i delighted i was and and you know i'm, I'm friends with joshua who is is the the vocalist or a member of that band yeah yeah and just like um they're younger than me i actually i don't know how old they are but they're they're not they're pretty young guys and i was just like yeah they're like um 24 but i think um the bassist i forget his name uh he um he's a little bit older yeah, and but you know them finding success with like recordings that they were doing when they were teenagers is just so fascinating to me because I'm like God, I hope the things I recorded at that age never reach the surface and no one ever finds those recordings. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, which leads me to um, for a question. I I could have asked you this before, but father, why is that not on up there anymore? <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot. We can edit this oh, out if you want. Oh, it's so <laughs> fine. I really appreciate. No, I really appreciate you've done your homework or that you've dug that deep. Um, I I think I had a lot of music. Um, 
not that I wasn't proud of, but I think uh, so. I released that record. I wrote those songs before the pandemic, and like mm. during the pandemic, I had such as a re a reset and kind of a recalibration of how I was writing. And and um, you know, during that time, I also met a team that kind of leveled me up and and got me into uh, bigger spaces and mm. just kind of spaces in a different way. Um, and so it was just kind of a decision on my part and and my teams that like going forward, like the sound of my EP, like they plan and those songs was kind of like where I wanted to go versus what I was doing before, which was like a lot, you know, folkier. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's interesting. Um, I think Faye Webster felt that way about her first album and said she wanted to take it down. But she I think she said she. I, maybe I misquoted. I feel like she said she had taken it down at one point, then put it back up. And I was like, oh, I liked it. I like that kind of traditional folk stuff. So just one example. So I know that's that's occurred before. It's interesting when you've gone into this, um, you're, you're in this world of folk-inspired music, but it's got a really light and fun feel to it as well. Um and I can really identify that it feels super authentic to me. Um, there's a lot of Nashville artists that will do that, that, mm -hmm. that have, that then kind of move into what they, uh, that to what their ultimate kind of creative expression is. Do you feel that's kind of where you're at right now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think about that a lot, actually, especially like, you know, my major influences come from like folk singer songwriters, especially like the folk revival movement. You know, I grew up, with a lot of like Joan Baez mm. and Simon Garfunkel, Paul Simon, uh, Paul McCartney. I mean, like the Beatles, but like Paul McCartney's songwriting, yeah, more than anything. Because Rubber Soul, which is like I think he shines uh, in yeah. that. But uh, you know, I grew up with a lot of songwritings, and what I think having the basis of like strong folk songwriting, what it does is it really. Yeah, it informs like a really strong basis of a song, right? Like lyrics are really important. Um, like melodies are incredibly important. So it's just like it's kind of taking that and then seeing like what can we do next, especially with like modern production, like a rock band. And like, I don't know. I think it's just like there's a time and a place for like folky folk stuff. And that's yeah. for me not really inspiring anymore. So I'm like, what? how do we get to the next space of like incredibly strong, uh, sorry, like incredible, like integrity of a song, but to the next level, if that makes sense. <laughs> well, um, excuse me. Um, being a folk inspired artist and coming from that sort of being as your roots, do you feel, uh, all right, I'm just going to throw this out there that it's a little bit of a, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for that you're kind of just really going against the grain of folk. Did that kind of hurt you a little bit, you know, um, to kind of, to fuck with it in a way to make it poppier, to use that folk and, and sort of change it. What, what is, what was your attitude with that? Cause I'm sure you went through those kind of, did you go through those kind of machinations a little bit in your head at first? I mean, you're right. So it's like, it's so funny you mentioned that because for so long, especially before the pandemic, where it was the first time in my life, like I was really forced to like, not just be out playing coffee shops all the time. Right. Mm, because I was mm -hmm. such just like a live songwriter for so long where I was like, I hated the studio. All I cared about was an acoustic guitar and a song yeah. and words. And I'm like, that's all you need. Um, three chords, but, you and, know, the I was three chords just, and the truth. And that wasn't even a folk singer that said that. 
<laughs> but it's like, but then when I was forced to like sit still and really kind of explore songwriting, um, kind of through like, I started learning a lot about like production. I started listening to a lot of electronic music. I started making just like wacky shit, right? Because I had all this time. Yeah. Just, like, sitting at the home. world's going to shit let's fuck it up in a lot of different ways i guess <laughs> exactly i kind of started exploring like i started watching a lot of youtube videos of producers generally like pop producers because pop production is just like they're doing insane stuff oh yeah and a lot of these guys are just working at their home studios right. um but so i kind of just got excited about yeah the next step and and yeah. how I was realizing like building my songs through a computer first versus just with my acoustic guitar was making songwriting interesting in a, in a different way and in a mm. new way. And like, mm. I think that's constantly what I'm like working towards is constantly being interested and excited for the next thing in my songwriting process. Yeah. That's amazing. So just kind of looking for that creativity. I mean, I know I had read a little bit about how you said like the pandemic sucked entirely and totally as a, as sort of a disclaimer before you went into where you were at during that time. But I, I hear so many stories and there's always positive little kernels that get pulled out. I mean, what are you going to do? Time went forward. Things changed quite a bit and it allowed artists to kind of think about different ways to express themselves. Perfect example of what, what you're talking about. You, you, you found a different way to do something that was entertaining and authentic to you. Absolutely. Because also it's like at the end of the day, it's like when you're, I think, doing a creative field, like for your professional life, it's mm. also about, it's like, I want to keep learning and progressing and like, like artists, like you don't want to stay the same. Like I would get bored if yeah. I was still writing songs the same way I did when I was 16. Yeah, I'm just yeah like, absolutely. I'm interested in new things. I'm dealing with different things in my life. Like, I don't know. It's all about yeah, just progressing in that and keeping it exciting for me. Do you think but it's a little? Especially, yeah. yeah. No, uh, well, no. 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 Okay. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Do you think it's a little bit about artists today have so much more exposure than ever before that there's a desire and uh, a perceived need to reinvent to not reinvent but to continue to change that creativity and expression musically and what's the next thing that you're going to do kind of like to sort of be different and make a little bit of a splash. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that's like, you know, as much as like the information internet age, as much as there are downsides to it, it's also, it's like we have access to more information at our mm. fingertips than we ever have. Yeah. In the history of the world. Right. And right. so what that gives us, right. Is exposure to so many things, especially in music. I mean, there is more music out there than has probably ever existed or yeah. like and at others at, at, at listeners fingertips it's bonkers i know so it's just like the the it's endless the inspiration that you can find and the corners yeah. you can go out of your way yeah um to do and then especially it's like you know a lot of you know i come from like diy music in like small towns mm. in like the northeast and also like being constantly inspired. I know this is a little bit of a pivot, but inspired by songwriters that like most people will probably never hear because they're just in local communities and we're just playing basement shows mm. and just seeing and being inspired by people that are doing stuff when no one's looking. 
because that's really cool to see. Well, that's the real authentic self stuff, right? When no, it's like, you know, the, the expression, you know, dance like no, as if no one's watching, right? It's like play as if no one's watching. Do, do what's real to you and let that be the guide, I guess is what you're saying. Well, yeah, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, it's like, it's really easy, especially, you know, I live in Nashville now. It's really easy to compare yourself to everyone and to try to do what seems to be working for other people. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's like what I really try to anchor to. I'm like, well, if something's going to work, it's got to be me or it's not going to be sustainable. And it probably won't be that authentic. It won't be authentic at all. That. Like well, if just, you're doing, well, if you're right, trying yeah. to copy others, that's the actual definition of non-authenticity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. But <laughs> yeah, so, it's easy to trick yourself sometimes. Into th- ah, interesting. Have you? Uh, and I think, uh, yeah. I mean, it's like when you. I think we live in a in a in a culture. It's like we really whatever success is, we really all generally like strive towards it, and it's really easy to convince ourselves. I don't know if this makes sense, but it's like, you know, being surrounded by people that are seemingly doing something that's working, that's clicking. Right. It's really easy for me to slip it into like, Oh, I should be doing that. And maybe I can force myself into thinking this is the authentic way I express myself. <sighs> so I can have a successful career, but uh, well, let's not figure out what you could do. Let's not talk about what you could have done to do something that you don't want to do. <laughs> let's talk about who you are, where you've come from, what you're doing today. I, I, I think it's absolutely wonderful. And if um, uh, for listeners, go go to Izzy's website and watch the or anywhere on YouTube, but they happen to be easy access up on the website, the videos that you've done from this, uh, from your latest EP, which is, um, which is amazing. So um, let's talk about your new album, uh, Day Plan, five songs written for the end of the world. Um, it's really wonderful. Uh, like we've been talking about, uh, yeah, for listeners, go to the website, check out the videos for this album there in just, we talked about authenticity and that's, that's all I could think about was just like, it's so, it's, it's, it's so wonderful. I got such a, um, like a wonderful feeling from what you're doing and how you're presenting it. And it, it's just, I don't know why it just felt so, I guess, cause it is authentic and I mean, I'm assuming it's authentic. That's the real you. That's what we've been, we've been talking about, but, um, just really great stuff, you know, to, uh, put, put your own self out there in those, in those videos, which was really fantastic, man. Good work. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, the truth is I, I mean, that's the thing. So when I made these recordings, it was, you know, there still wasn't a vaccine. I was living in a one bedroom apartment in rural Western Massachusetts. I was kind of like, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know what was going on in my music life, especially it's like, you know, I'd been playing DIY shows since I was 18. It was just years and years of showing up and playing to not many people everywhere I went, which is great. And I learned so much, but it definitely starts to wear on you. Yeah. (laughs) After a period of time, if you don't really see any progression. So with these songs, I mean, man, it was just, it was definitely as authentic as it gets. Cause I didn't know what was going to work. I didn't know what was going on, but all I knew was I was like, this is kind of what I want to be doing and, and how I want to be doing it. And so I, 
borrowed my friend's uh, camera and I was like, I'll figure it out. I want visuals for everything. And here we go. I mean, day plan, the song, I guess the title song, the video for that was literally just me driving around for eight hours it's a lyric video and i duct tape a tri- duct taped a tripod to my dashboard in my subaru and just drove wow and i was like maybe this will work <laughs> there you go man talk about diy i love that spirit so when <laughs> say, you you grew up in brookline right and yeah uh, let's all let, let's you're you are jewish half jewish or not your dad was jewish your parents are first generation immigrants is that true uh, I guess I'm first generation, so they're your first generation. They are immigrant, right? First generation immigrants. What am I saying? I mix those two things yeah, up. I so they're immigrants. Confused. Yeah, it's me. Your too. first generation. Yeah. Um, where'd they come from? So my mother came here from northern northern Italy when she was like 25. You can't quote me on the age, but she came here for <laughs> a PhD program. So for oh, grad nice. school. So I think around that time. I lived uh, in northern. Father, I, one sec. I lived in northern Italy. Do you know the town where she came from? Yeah. Where in northern Italy? I studied in Padova, Padua in English. Oh, and yeah. I lived in Treviso uh, she, also, which is nearby. Okay, yeah. So she was in Alto Adige, like Trento. Oh, nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was. it's pretty close to Padova. But yeah, so we grew up, Um, you know, we would spend when I was younger, like two, three months there back with my family because they're still all over there. Uh-huh. Um, and then as I got older, we started spending less time, but like still a decent amount of time. But so, yeah, uh, we grew up pretty back and forth. Uh-huh. Um, so two part Italiano. And then my father allora. came. Si. Oh, okay. Allora. Eh. We could do this whole thing in Italian. Si, dimmi. A questo punto non faccio esercizio mai, allora non non parlo molto bene più. But... Okay. Uh, At this point, I don't really practice that much, but, you know, anyway... Uh, yeah, I was gonna say you're probably better Italian than I am. Well, I'm but... coming. I'm coming off also meeting a ton. There were a ton of Italians at South by Southwest, so that was a lot of fun. So I got to practice my Italian. Were a they? Bunch. Yeah, there were. Oh, cool. Well, I don't know. Just I happened to just intersect with some Italians. You know, you meet one. You meet one guy in the Italian music business. He's like, let me introduce you to my 17 friends. You know, who are here. So that was fun. I'm a novelty oh, because I'm an American, not only in the music business, but I also speak Italian. So that seems to be a lot of fun for people. That's That's a lot of fun for me, too. So your father was from where? Uh, Hungary. So he's a Hungarian Jew. But they, during during the Cold War, had to escape to Belgium. And then when he was 11, he came to Nyack, New York. They immigrated here. And Mm -hmm. then they eventually moved to Charleston, South Carolina. Um, But my parents met getting their PhDs in mathematics. And then my mother stayed because of that oh okay interesting um and so they moved to brookline so presumably they were in the university system there or something but um tell me about growing up picking up a guitar playing coffee shops and such what was that like yeah absolutely i mean uh my parents you know my parents grew up not with the most amount of stuff but like uh i was really fortunate and privileged that my sister and i um, we're given a lot, uh, do, you know, my parents started working in computer sciences in the eighties. Um, but they were really dedicated to like us having access to a lot of stuff they didn't growing mm. up. And so a big part of that was like music. And, uh, we were put in piano lessons from a really 
early age and it wasn't like to force us to be like this is our thing but they just wanted us to have like options and tools to kind of discover what we were really that's great so i played classical piano for a lot of my childhood i hated it i really wasn't very good (laughs) um i had this wonderful ukrainian teacher she was very strict and i never practiced enough but (laughs) it was a whole thing uh and then i think when i was you can uh, never practice enough for the ukrainian piano teachers yeah you can never practice enough and i just really did not practice even the bare minimum. So <laughs> definitely for her, I was just Good a disappointment. Com- perfect combo. <laughs> it's the perfect storm there, is it? <laughs> yeah, right. But so then when I was 12, I uh, I started taking guitar lessons because, you know, I like wanted to be cool. Yeah. I wanted to play Green Day songs. Um, so I got like one of those like beginner Stratocaster guitars. And then I uh, actually, so speaking of Newport, uh, when I was 14... My dad took me to Newport Folk Festival because my favorite band was the Avett Brothers at the time. Mm, and there love was the like Avets. Super into the Avets. Everyone goes through an yeah. Avets period, I think. Oh, I absolutely. Like. And I mean, there was a period, I think, where they headlined like four years in a row at Newport mm. or something. It was like, it was before Newport really was selling out. So kids' tickets were like $20. Yeah. It was like not a very big thing to go. Um, But it was awesome. And it was when I really fell in love with like, well, live performance, but also kind of like the modern folk revival movement. Mm. You know, it was with the Avett Brothers and the Lumineers were coming out at that time. So it was like, you know, I was really into that, like folk rocky stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I was a teenager and uh, especially, you know, I grew up with influences from the early folk revival movement. So 60s and 70s stuff. So like Jim Croce, Paul Simon, yeah. um, Joni Mitchell, like all that classic stuff. And so then I kind of really abandoned learning guitar for guitar's sake and really just cared about songs. Mm. And then, yeah, I guess I just started writing songs when I was 16. Open mics, they were all probably pretty bad. But then I kind of just like kept going. Um, And when I was 18, I went to college in uh, Western Massachusetts at a small state school and just started playing coffee shops and then kind of kept doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I want to talk about you playing in coffee shops and doing open mics, but I cannot skip over the whole, the Newport angle that how, first of all, how cool it was that your parents took you to Newport. I try to take my kids. So how old are you now, by the way? I'm 26. Okay. So you were, what did you say? That was 2014. So you were like 25, uh, you were like 15, 14, 15, something in that time frame, I guess, roughly, right? So they were taking yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. to shows, either your dad or your mom at that, at that point. And that's phenomenal. Fast forward to 2022 when you played Newport. Like, yeah, I'm so just going to we... like pause for applause there. And <laughs> um, that, I mean, okay. You're just going to go into it as if it's like no big deal, Izzy. I'm like, that's fucking phenomenal, man. That's a full circle fucking moment. Tell me about what that meant to you and what that was like. And we talked Absolutely. about the fallout of that also earlier before we got on the air because we were talking about Newport. How I was like, oh, you were there last year. So you saw Paul Simon. And you're like, no, I had the fucking gig I had to prepare for. So there are <laughs> the downfalls of being a star now and pl- performing on a Newport stage. But be that as it may, talk to me about Newport. Yeah, I mean, it was honestly like even just being there was incredible because I think especially growing up and growing up from the patron side of it, I mean, 
I'm not a big festival person, mm-hmm. but Newport is to this day still the only festival I would actually pay to just like be an audience member at because it is it's like a listening room festival. Oh, it's right? fantastic. It's like the most attentive I've ever seen a crowd outside right? be. And it's like, you know, my mom and I, it was always really special because then when I got into my like later teenage years and then even in college, like my mom and I would go every year, just the two of us. And we would be like, you know, she is so funny. She's such a serious music listener. It's like we would post up at the set we wanted to be at like half an hour early so we could get seats. Yeah. So it wouldn't just be so crowded. Right. Um, and anyways, but growing up, going to it, you always hear about like it's a family like on the artist side Mm. and um, getting to experience that firsthand and like kind of start to dip my toes and like, Oh, like I want to be around here more. And as many years as I possibly can get to not even play here, but just be around. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. You just see a bunch of your friends. It's obviously, it's such a like Northeast festival that a lot of my friends like work for the Newport association, Yeah, you know, as you grow up, it's just, you know, more and more people that are just around that weekend. Right. And then, yeah, this past year, I also, I got to do an after party where Marcus Mumford asked me to play at his show. and, And that involved me being in a room with like people I mean, I had no idea how I got there, uh, but I was in a room with like Claro and Nathaniel Rateliff and Lucy Dacus and then Marcus. It was just like it was bonkers. I mean, there's just so many incredible, inspiring songwriters there. Um, yeah, yeah. And it was yeah, really special to be a part of that. That must have been just amazing. And you played on a special acoustic stage. Um, was the were the how were your nerves playing? I mean, you've played open mics. You've been playing to strangers for so long, and in not probably question of questionable, hospitable environments. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> but what was that like on that stage? Oh, I mean, it was great. I don't know. I don't. Um, I don't want to say I don't get nervous, but like, oh, I thought you were going to say you completely this... blacked out and don't remember anything. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I try to, I don't know. I try to stay present as much as possible because mm. it's, it's, and I talk about this a lot with my buddies. So, you know, yeah. I've been playing out for a long time and yeah. for a long time it was very, very DIY, but this past year was the first year of me really having a team and an infrastructure for like, mm. you know, we're playing bigger shows. We're doing a lot of tours, like supporting artists. Yeah which is getting me in front of just like, you know, there's spaces I never dreamed I would be in. And they're, they're real venues opposed to like what I was playing, which was like five people at a dive bar um, or background music at a brewery. Um, And I don't know. It's, it's, I guess I don't get nervous. I get just excited because it's also like, these are spaces I never thought I'd get to be. Yeah, Yeah. And I have a lot of confidence in my songs and, and at this point in my life, plan them for people. So, yeah, I think I'm, you know, uh, you know, I just played I got to do a, a song at Bridgestone Arena and that was my first arena. Uh, and so that was a little nerve wracking. That was that was also awesome. That was the Love Rising benefit that just yeah. happened. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah I want to yeah, talk about yeah. that, too. Um so that that the, the 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 that huge stage, the sort of grand stage, if you will, at an arena. Was it the first time you'd played in an arena? Oh, one hundred percent. I had never played. You know, we've done some really cool support tours this year, but I've never played for more than eight hundred people, probably. Mm. Um, and I think there were 
maybe 10,000 there. Yeah. Which was something people keep asking me. My friends are like, so how was it? And all I keep, I just keep looking them kind of blankly and I go, it was something. Because I don't yeah. really know how else to describe it. Like it was great. It was super fun. It was, it was definitely an experience. I had a great time. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you seem really giddy about it. I mean, I'm no, knowing what I know about you. I'm super psyched that that occurred too. Just an amazing opportunity. Totally. Oh, absolutely. Right. Right. But it's also it's like I mean, whatever I get to do, I just pinch myself. I'm a kid that never. I didn't think anyone would really ever pay attention to my songs. Wow. What impact has that had on you personally in terms of your own personal growth and kind of confidence and or validation? Because you've, you've gone through a lot in your life. You're a trans person. You've been through that not only transition, but also sort of presenting yourself in the way that's most authentic to you against the grain, if, 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 you, if, if I can say that, not in just in a cis world, you have persevered and moved forward doing what's right for you. And that's also important to, to be in that own, that own authentic place. And I really admire that and applaud that as well. Um, but that speaks to a whole other level of being your own self, being out there, putting your own artistic expression out there. And um, uh, it's amazing. And so Love Rising was also, I wanted to mention, was a benefit in Tennessee um, to support uh, organizations that are pro-trans youth, and it's a rea it's 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 a reaction, and it's a a gathering of forces and support f against those uh, those laws in Tennessee anti-drag and that are specifically targeting trans youth. It's just so difficult and and horrible, and I'm I'm glad I'm glad you were there. Kind of what impact did it have of you being in that kind of environment? Yeah, I mean, especially like with what the event was fundraising for like mm. i felt i felt really thankful to be there but also yeah i was really grateful because so what's going on in tennessee one of the bigger legislations i mean the anti-drag bill is one thing but there's also legislation going on to deny access uh to gender affirming care for trans youth yeah and why it hit close to home was like you know i came out quite young i was 14 when i started my medical transition mm. and just like knowing i was one of those kids and like i was so like if i was that age in the state right now like i would be very deeply affected by this law and um that's not lost on me and that's why it was like yeah. really important i think for me to talk about it there um especially i don't know if there were any other artists on the bill that really had that particular experience mm. um which yeah. is you know it it is what it is and the artists were incredible and yeah well let's talk about what what specifically like let's put yourself um in that mindset of what would happen if if i were a trans youth i don't know at what point of transition or what have you um to have those kind of laws what impact does that have on a young person Oh, I mean, absolutely. Like, that's like, I mean, it, to be blunt, it's like I would be dead. Like, I know how excited I was when I was told I could get on hormones. Um, and it took us a lot. And, you know, I was 16 and me and my parents had to like go through a lot to get there. And if, you know, a year into that, someone was like, we actually are going to take this away from you. Like, I don't think I would have questioned just killing myself right then. Fuck. Yeah. Which it's like, I know it's like, that's blunt and it's hard, but no, it's like it's... that 
unfortunately is how extreme these circumstances are to these kids. Yeah. Um, and just being, you know, if you experience a certain level of dysphoria, it's like, I mean, that's just, it, it's just devastating and it's a trauma. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've talked about how you want to be open. I think you about the issues that you have faced and where you are now successfully. And I think you just said like your quote, why not? Why, why, why don't I, I, I just should talk about it. You know, it's, it's part of who you are and it can help people. And that's just devastating to know that that's the type of impact that it could have had on you. Um, and knowing that there are others who, upon which that's probably the impact that is being put upon today. It's just, it's just horrible. It makes me super sad. Yeah. And I mean, I, that's why it's like, you know, I, I think there's always the fear as a marginalized individual that when you are kind of going, you know, moving throughout this world of being pigeonholed or seen just for your marginalization, right? It's like, you know, I have a lot of confidence in my work and I just want to be taken seriously for that. But, yeah. you know, yeah. at this point, it's like I have a lot of confidence in my work and I have a team that also does. So I feel very valid in just yeah. like kind of the integrity of what my work is separate yeah. Yeah. from kind of being a queer individual. Sure. So with that, I've kind of taken upon myself to be as open as possible with this part of my identity to show people, honestly, more for people that are in my position, like trans kids, really, that I'm like, we can exist in every space that we want, just like not even like as like trans artists, but just like as yeah. artists yeah, 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 that yeah. have this identity, we deserve to exist in these spaces and we can, and we can function here. Yeah, that doesn't have to be part of your own creative expression. Like, it's not intrinsically, it's not trans artist Izzy Heltai. I came to you as Izzy Heltai, and I, as I was reading, I'm like, oh, okay, this is the background. It's, it's, but it, yeah. and it's part of who you are. It's oh, just, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, but it's I mean, also significant today, in today's time, and it's a story of, of, of struggle and being authentic. And that's, that's, that's kind of the takeaway for me at least from my perspective, is just the authenticity that it represents for you. And just to talk to someone who has in, has become the person that they want to become. Yeah. No, I mean, I de definitely think you're right. It was definitely like a going through it. It's like a crash course in how to be authentic, I would say. Mm. Yeah. Right. Crash course in how to be authentic. Yeah, absolutely. That's got to have a profound impact on who you are and how how proud you must be of and and of you and your friends and chosen family of who who you want who you want to be. Yeah, uh, it's definitely it's it's a it definitely equips you with tools to really assess in mm. day to day just like how you want to show up and, yeah. and what I guess is is worth you know what is worth showing up yeah in this in this life as you've talked about struggling with depression is that something that came because of some issues that you faced in uh in transitioning or um just or being who you are was it exacerbated or is that something that you deal with that's completely separate from these these type of issues uh right now unfortunately is completely separated mm, yeah. <laughs> uh no i i um when I was younger, it was definitely exacerbated by that. But right now, no, it's just, it's just acute anxiety and depression. What else can we pile on here, Izzy? 
<laughs> Sorry to make light, but you know, I'm like a jokester. Sorry. There's just, you know, everyone's dealing, everyone's got to deal with all their, their shit. I've certainly got my fucking shit. So, oh, yeah. yeah. And I think uh, creative people generally, I don't know. I haven't met many mentally sound creative individuals. <laughs> <laughs> There's my pull quote for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, everyone's kind of skewed one way or the other with their issues. And when you put your issues out there, you might seem a little bit off to people. I'm not really sure. I don't know. I don't know. That's a massive generalization. But all I'm saying is that you are who you are, and especially artists are going to put yourself put yourself out there like you do. Yeah. Well, I also think it's important. I mean, if there's one thing I'm dedicated to just doing in my life, it's mm. like if I can make one person feel a little less alone. Because I think that's like an important part of what the human experience is experience is for all of us is just trying to make like i think we all feel alone in our thoughts and feelings and it takes someone just saying what they're going through a lot of times for mm. us to feel okay also doing that which is i think really important yeah do you feel so now you're playing more shows you're playing slightly bigger rooms you're opening for some amazing acts i mean just off the top of my head the mountain goats and you also played with uh you opened some bunch of dates for one of my favorite bands deer tick from the region oh um, yeah who i love you must have had a great time with those guys because they are just so much fun they're awesome have you met those guys or talked to them yeah i've talked to that had i had uh ian and john on the show and uh yeah they're just they're really really sweet guys especially now they're like all dads too yeah yeah it's great which even softens them more they're yeah. real great yeah yeah um so you've been you've had the opportunity to be in front of a number of different types of audiences, even of of different makeups and uh, of different sizes and different rooms. So trying to connect, like you just talked about, with that one person, or if you, that you can make a difference um, in what you do in your own expression and just with your songs and an amazing, um, down to earth, realistic kind of here and now um, lyrics, which are just wonderful. Um, what is that feeling you have when you're, are you getting that sort of exchange of being able to touch individuals to an even greater extent, obviously, than you were playing coffee shops, but what is the impact that it has on you to be up there doing what you do and knowing that you're touching other people that way? I mean, it's awesome. Cause it's like also a big part of why I love doing this work. It's like, I love people and I love meeting new people. And that's like, you know, touring is my favorite thing in the entire world because a lot of it it's like it's coupling my three favorite things which are like i get to see a lot of new places i get to play songs i'm really proud of for people mm. and i get to meet a lot of really cool people yeah um so like i am very much like uh i if i'm generally in like the crowd like if we're not playing like oh, before cool. or after the show like i remember when i was opening for the mountain goats uh i did that one solo because i'm usually touring with my band but that was really fun because like you know, it was such a easy load and I was just with my acoustic guitar. And so like, you know, those were a lot of sold out shows. So there would just be people in lobbies or like in lines and I would just go hang out and mm -hmm. no one knew I was opening. Obviously, I mean, most people had no idea who I was, <laughs> but I was just there to hang out most of the time. And that's kind of just like me generally on tour. Yeah. That's so funny. Like the, with the, you just like talking to people, then they'll see you up on stage like, wait uh oh wait i just talked to that guy what's he doing up there <laughs> yeah that's usually what happens and i'm like i don't know i just stumbled here 
<laughs> yeah. Um, you're doing so many amazing things and getting out there, but it's great to hear that you that you love touring and that you want to get out there and that you want to go travel around. It's a it's a tough business, man. Does it not? Do you feel like so? It, it, are you kind of in a space where it doesn't grind you down even even a little bit, or is it? Um, what are some of the challenges that you that you face being out there and just continually hitting it on the road, or are, are there none? Or is that you, you're just you're you're a road dog? You're just you're out there, and that's where you want to be. I'll be honest with you. I think it's like uh, when I really spirals when we're not on the road because it's just mm. like when I'm touring. It's basically it's like everything I love to do is being on the road and playing my songs. And it's so tangible. Yeah. The work you're doing when you're on the road versus like when I'm, you know, just writing my songs in my bedroom for months. I'm like, this is great. But this like it you just you can spiral into being like, is this going to go anywhere? Is does anyone care anymore versus like on tour? Also, when you're on tour, you're so tired that you don't have time to think about how sad you are. So that's also an <laughs> that's a good one. Let me remember that the next time I'm depressed or sad, just like <laughs> don't sleep for like two days and be exhausted and lug. I'll just lug equipment around my house and get myself all tired. So I don't think about my own problems. Absolutely. <laughs> that I have this, it's, like, a, just, it's a complete opposite thing for me. When I sleep is my num is my major antidepressant. Mm. I would not be a good touring artist. It's just I mean, you know, although we were both recently at South by Southwest, that is a that is a whirlwind. I was really at the extent of just like how little can I sleep and how much can I get done. So yeah, I guess I I can do it, but Given the solitude of my space at home, I try to get a lot of sleep because this place kind of gives me the freedom for my mind to just kind of spin out a little too much, I think. But mm -hmm. so it could just be like you want to be busy, you're doing your thing, and that's how you kind of stay afloat. Absolutely. And also at this point, it's like, you know, everything I'm doing uh, is basically like the next biggest thing I've ever done. So it's also it's just like, it's really <laughs> exciting because at the root yeah. of it, I'm still just like, I'm a kid. I mean, I'm just like wide-eyed everywhere because I still don't know how I ended up in you're, a lot of these spaces. You're fucking and, living life, living your dream. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> but you're kind of an old soul. I mean, I wouldn't like 26. I'll give you 26. But you have you have a level of, I feel like you have a level of life experience that kind of comes across quite a bit. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I think, you know, if there's one thing I want to, always do in my life it's just keep learning and keep growing and that's another big part of why i was so even before i had agents or like an infrastructure for doing this in a more mm. serious way i was just diy touring because like the more people you meet the wider your perspective gets and the more you learn and the yeah. more you can empathize and like you know i was I was playing in like small towns in like wyoming or like colorado and you meet all sorts of people that you just like I don't know. You'd mm. never meet if you weren't doing that. Yeah, you meet people in Colorado that you wouldn't meet if you weren't in Colorado. Well, yeah. In other words, you just got to get. <laughs> <laughs> you just, in other words, you. It, uh, I'm just making fun. I don't know why I'm in like a goofy mood today, but um, it's just the uh, yeah. You got to be out there to meet the people. It it seems oh. that's a simple statement, but it's actually it, it's kind of quite profound. You know, you have to you got to be in it to 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 experience it. There's a lot, there's, there's a big world out there. In other words. 
Yeah. And I remember, you know, I started doing my DIY tours when I was 19 and then I kind of just got obsessed with it and I would go mm. out, I would book myself in like breweries or coffee shops or like basically anywhere that would, I mean, God, I, I was like anywhere that would pay me 50 bucks, but some places weren't even paying me. So, so is that when you were living um, in Brookline, you do like things that were kind of nearby and sort of, you're lucky enough that no, like, this is when I was in college. Um, oh. I basically started playing gigs by cold emailing coffee shops that I knew had music. Nice. And then it just kind of spiraled because then I would basically identify that I'm like, oh, if I can do this in the area I live, then in my mind, I'm like, the next step is like artist tour, right? I had yeah. no idea what that really meant. But yeah. to me, what it was like, well, I can just reach out to coffee shops in other states mm. and I guess I can like make this a tour. Yeah. And I never really thought about where I was sleeping. So I always was sleeping in my car. But basically, that kind of just spiraled into me doing that for years and it progressively like getting longer and longer until, you know, I would be out for like two, three months on the road and be out in like Wyoming and some wow. middle of nowhere wow. town. So you would like construct a tour as you went along sometimes? Not as I went along. It would still be months in advance. But yeah. dude, I would get emails back from people because I would like, you know, say I was going to New Mexico. I was like going to Google. I'm like going through all these Google reviews of like right. if there was any mention of live music, like any like brunch place that would have me play like background music. And sometimes I would get emails back from people that would be like, yeah, you can definitely come play music here. But how did you find us? We usually don't have live music. And I was like, right. I do not know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You didn't take, I didn't take that part of the notes. Like it didn't matter to me. It's just like you had a one player at one point and like you're going to yeah, have me. Right. And I'm I coming to town. You're going to have me. review somewhere. Right. Oh, yeah. I was in. I remember I played in uh, Fort Collins, Colorado, mm. outside of a vintage shop that didn't have a sound system, obviously. So we literally just used the equipment they were selling. <laughs> To ramshackle something together. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Now there's apps. I had Lincoln Schofield, who's on the show uh, with the propitious name, um, created an app called ShowX where you can, it'll give you like different venues that you can uh, investigate and kind of root towards. And it'll just give you continued routing and venues along the way. It made your job a hell of a lot easier. Are you serious? Yeah, go I listen to that episode yeah. also or go to the website and others that are listening. Definitely check that out if you're a touring artist. I think it could be incredibly helpful. Not that it's not fun to do what you did and like plenty of people do it that way, but there's other ways. Uh, yeah, I don't know if fun is the right word. No, <laughs> I'm, I <don't>, yeah. <laughs> I'm putting a positive spin on it. It sounded like it was fun for you. Was that as far as you went out was New Mexico from what well, you were living in North Adams when you started doing this, right? In Massachusetts. Yeah. So I would, uh, routinely go, like I did a lot of the Midwest. I spent a lot of time playing shows in Ohio and stuff. Cause I also had a lot of friends at like colleges around. And so, you know, the best shows were always just kind of house shows. Oh yeah. At sure. Colleges. And just like you got to So I went, yeah. you got a friend, you got a bed or you got a floor with a roof. Exactly. If you got a friend, you got a roof in general. Show. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll put together a house show where, you know, it's like it's better than a coffee shop because, like, you know, 50 people that really care will come and you'll get to meet some other cool bands. But, um, yeah, I would, like, go through Canada. I would come down the Dakotas. Yeah. Uh, Kansas, like, then Wyoming. Yeah, I think that's the farthest west I ever got on my own was, like, Wyoming, Colorado mm. would go down. I generally spend a lot of time in Texas. I really like Texas. It's yeah. also a really cool songwriting community. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, and I just kind of did that. Uh, you know, by the end of it, it definitely felt like I was kind of just beating my head against a wall continuously. Like there didn't seem to be any upwards trajectory, but I was doing it. Yeah, well, it was not really a means to an end. It kind of seemed like it's an end in itself a little bit until you started to see the other side, like what was beyond the end, I guess. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, and I mean, and, and having said that, like I still don't, regret any of it because like everything informs me to where i got now and also it's like we get to play rooms that actually have people in it now and i just (laughs) you know i never want to take that for granted because it is i feel really really fortunate that you know even if it doesn't go beyond this that i still got to be here yeah yeah but you're moving towards going beyond this. You were at South by Southwest last week. What was the, what was the impact that that had on you? Because that that's an absolute whirlwind. So much music going on, and you're jumping from venue to venue. And what was it like for you? What are your what are your uh, what are your takeaways here? Just a few days after. Well, it's like South by. I mean, I had a lot of fun. Uh, I know some people get overwhelmed, but like that is like totally a space where i thrive where you're just like always doing something Mm. we played five times in the four days yeah um and we had you know all sorts from like very sparse to like pretty packed showcases right um and i also so on top of that i also i broke my hip four weeks ago oh shit how'd you do that so i'm also I was in a bike accident. But you know yeah, what? So I, hold on like, one. Stop the presses, Izzy. I saw one of the, in one of the videos very briefly. The one that was in the kitchen, which was uh, was it? Give it a try. And yeah. I saw you in cycling gear. I'm a cyclist. I put on all the Are gear really? to go to go ride. I've been doing it forever. Um, oh my god! Yeah. I'm a, well, it's I'm like. I've I've gone through periods of being more serious and not, but you know I I went through also a period of like a ten year period of doing like two hundred or something miles a week, so yeah, I was about yeah. to say, did you fall off your bike? Yeah, so unfortunately, uh, the second love of my life, if music is the first, is cycling. Yeah. Um, I got really into distance cycling, and it's like God, I I always sound so nerdy talking about it oh Um, you're in the right place here let's nerd out on it a little bit (laughs) so you know man they had to fully cut they had to cut me out of my bibs when i got to the hospital how'd you go down uh i was just i oh god i i feel so silly i mean i was so i had a stress i mean you know it happens I had a stress fracture because I'm also a distance runner. Uh-huh. Um, and so then I, I just fell pretty hard. Like I spun out on my bike. I think you, only you who's listening to me talk probably knows what this is. But I just like clipped out. You know, when you just I, I, I just like hit the back of my wheel with my foot when it like clipped out suddenly. And I just kind of like spun out and then like flew off my bike and fell on my hip. Oh, so you completely fucked up. <laughs> That's yeah, my take. But my bike's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. My bike's thing. fine. I know. My friends that's and I would always thing. say, I know, right? They're like, save the bike, the body will heal, you know? Like Absolutely. stories of guys that kidding? knew they were going down on like a on a descent and they just intentionally they were losing control. They just fall on their back and just keep their bike up above their head, hooked to their feet. So yeah. It's expensive. My bike is fully carbon fiber. Do you think I'll ever be able to get another one? <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope so. With the trajectory where you're going, you're going to be able to, man. You're going to be able to. Um, What? And the bike was okay. What do you ride? 
I ride a Trek Boone 9, so it's a cyclocross bike. Oh, nice. Um, I raced a little cyclocross at one point, but I have a Trek. Whoa. I have the Checkpoint SL. I also oh, That's yeah, one yeah, of my yeah. bikes. That's my gravel bike for like ride. It's a good city bike. It's got like the it's got disc brakes, so it's got the clearance for the bigger tires. All right, we're not going to geek yeah, out dude. too much, but Chicago's a really great cycling community. I didn't even ask oh. where, where are you are you living in where are you living now? So I live in Nashville, possibly oh, cool. the worst biking city. <laughs> Is it really bad there? Just like bad disrespectful drivers and they don't give it a shit. It is not. Well, have you been in Nashville? I have, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's kind of a city built around an interstate, which is Gallatin. So it's like I love it, and so I love this city so much because I love the people here. Yeah, but coming from New England or like Chicago is a beautiful city too. I'm like I'm used to beautiful cities. I'm used to easily walkable cities. Yeah, you don't think you know, Nashville Boston's... is either of those? No. Yeah. <laughs> It's a little disparate in we, the way that it's set up because of just the massive amount of development and everything. It sort of feels like a house, kind of house of cardy a little bit, but I, I, I dug the energy 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that's what, like, I moved down here in November and I adore it. I've never yeah. had friends like this. Yeah. And the community of songwriters is just like, it's so cool. Yeah, it's yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Cyclocross bike. Okay, we're going to have to talk more cycling at some point, but I'm going to be in town in a couple of weeks, actually. I'm going to a really uh, to a, to a music conference there, so I'm looking forward to getting there. But so where were we before we started talking about cycling? Um, being able to afford, being able to afford a bike, getting out there. Um, we're talking about my experience at South by with a broken hip, but more oh, of my that's experience right. at there, South Thank by. you so much for throwing me that lifeline, Izzy. I owe you one. Uh, shit. So you had a broken hip at South by or recovering. Oh, we had a, yeah, we had a lot of things. So basically I own the van we tore in, but it broke down the day before we were supposed to leave. Mm. So I rented a minivan, which, (laughs) so we drove 12 hours from Nashville to Austin in a minivan. And then, yeah, we played the week is obviously crazy. Um, had a lot of fun. It's obviously it's also like it is a lot of people. It's like a lot of people from a lot of different places in one space. So it's like also a lot of friends. I don't get to see that often. Oh, cool. We're there, which uh-huh. was a lot of fun. Yeah. But yeah. And then, you know, we played our last show on Saturday, Sunday, 12 hours back to Nashville. And then Monday was this Bridgestone event. So yeah, then I was yeah, just at the Serena from like 2 p.m. because they never run the show before that day mm-hmm. so we had to do the full thing for sound check it was a long day yeah but yeah like i said at this point i'm just excited to be included in anything yeah crazy cool stuff god um i was gonna ask you so are you um are you creating new material now is that kind of where you are in your cycle are you sort of hunkering down and writing new songs do you have some new material out there not yeah, necessarily so out there, but kind of like, where are you at with that? Yeah, I'm I'm writing. Uh, you know, I've got a song. I guess it's coming out tomorrow. I just uh, released one last month. Um, but just kind of at this point, just kind of releasing songs sporadically. The main priority is still like touring at this point and kind of developing the live sound. But I, yeah. I don't know. I'm not the fastest writer in the world. Right. So Oh, yeah. No judgment. I was just kind of wondering where you are. Also, because... You were talking about how there's so many things that are happening now that are exciting for you in terms of your own musical career. Um, How does that not seep in for you to what you're writing about? If that's kind of like what's 
kind of really happening and going on with you in terms of your own career development? Yeah, I mean, it definitely like there are definitely particular songs that like, I guess hmm, that's interesting. I'm thinking about it now. I think <laughs> I don't know. I guess like I'm more grateful now than I probably ever have been in my life just because mm. it seems like maybe things are taking a turn of like, oh, this could be working out in yeah. more of a way than I expected it Positivity. to. And that definitely. Yeah, and that definitely <laughs> comes out in my songs. Um, what hasn't changed is kind of uh, a lot of the depression and anxiety stuff I deal with that mm. also I write a lot about because that's a lot of what I'm processing. But yeah. no, I mean, the last song I came out with, Running Out, is definitely a lot about feeling really lucky and grateful mm. and kind of starting to progress in, in this world. So yeah. yeah. Do you feel that when you get... Um, in order to combat depression, do you feel that you are constantly trying to stay busy so that you don't fall into that, into those type of mental patterns that exacerbate depression or anxiety? Yeah, and 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 that's definitely it, it. It goes to the other extreme where I have a really hard time staying still and resting, which is actually been ex like it's a pretty dramatic. Uh, signal my body is giving me now with this broken hip because like mm. uh, I'm a big runner I'm a big cyclist like I have a very hard time standing still and a yeah. big part of that is because of mental illness and just like if I'm not standing still I don't have to process a lot of the things that are really getting me down um, but the past few weeks I have really had to slow down because uh, I can really barely move or do anything Fuck. so it's just been making me come to terms with a lot and that like uh, rest is definitely something I need to work on. Yeah, because do you, do you it's have so that, important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Also, not running. Maybe <laughs> I'm. I can talk anybody out of running. I just I, I hate running, and I just love cycling. So running stay with is stay amazing. with the non concussive stuff. But running right. so much easier. You can get a lot more exercise packed into. If you ride, if you're a big rider and you ride for an hour, for those of you that don't know, that's like nothing. Right. That's a warm. I would like when I at my height, like I would be out there for an hour and a half and I'm just starting to feel warmed up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. Cycling. I'm like, you got to be out there for eight hours. It's so a time. People are like, how long are you doing this for? And I'm like, eight hours is a full day. That's a long time. I, I applaud that, man. That's a lot. So you're putting in hundreds, oh, of I mean, hundred and something miles. I never got to a hundred in a day. Have you done a century? Yeah, a couple times, but I used to ride like regular weekend rides that were 80, but only because I lived downtown and they would start already just to get to the start. I would just, I would ride 18 miles. So that's 36 miles of just getting there and back. And oh, then another yeah. I mean, 45 mile ride with a group. Oh, absolutely. Oh, you were doing it with a group. I, I just group rides. That's the next frontier. Have you, do you do group rides? That's a, I've oh, never done it actually. Yeah. Because I never had big cycling buddies. But yeah, at the peak, like over the summer, I'll, I'll knock out like 80-mile rides. But I never nice. got to a full century. But also because, yeah, I was on my own. Yeah. Um, but the next – so the thing about how I got this injury too, so I was like getting prepped for like marathon distances. Mm. And the next step for me was I really wanted to do a triathlon, mm. um, which yeah. kind of combines How's all your swimming? of the things. Terrible. <laughs> so that's the issue. Yeah. <laughs> My oldest daughter is now 25, about your age, um, was a competitive swimmer. So she's a major triathlon uh, candidate because not only from her cardiovascular uh, 
uh, you know, her cardiovascular expertise or whatever predisposition, she's a swimmer and they always have like the best, they always perform the best in a triathlon because that's the, that's the most difficult discipline. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So many exciting things going on this summer is, oh, and let's talk about Bonnaroo. You were at Bonnaroo last year. Like that must've just been mind blowing, right? They did such a great write-up for you on their website too. It was amazing. They were like, this is a not to miss set of Bonnaroo. It was spectacular. Um, that must've been just absolutely mind blowing for you. Yeah, it was awesome. And especially because like, so Bonnaroo is such a Nashville festival because it's only an hour outside. Mm, yeah. So that just meant it was like a lot of my friends were out. You know, I just I've, I've spent more and more time in Nashville this past year, even before I moved here. So right. that was just like a lot of fun. We yeah, so we got to do that and then Newport and then Austin City Limits last summer for festivals. And nice. it, it was just awesome. Yeah. Outside Lands is going to be really cool this year, too. Yeah, so that's great. What do you? What have you? So you've got outside land set up. Uh, what about tour dates? I didn't see a ton of tour dates on the website, but what are you kind of doing these days? Just keeping your, just recuperating at home with your broken hip, like an old person. I am hoping <laughs> we're on tour sooner than later, but you know it's so up in the air at this point. Right now, I'm just kind of working on uh, writing and uh, yeah, healing. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, take it easy because hip that can, that can, um, you know, especially if you want to get out there and run too soon, just, I can tell you from experience from an athlete that has many athletic injuries, just take it easy, man. Yeah, that's fair. Right. Right. Uh, are you good? You got, <laughs> um, I know I keep checking. I'm so nervous. We're no, good. That's okay. We're going to be okay. Um, well, Izzy, you got so much going on. Your your um the latest EP, five songs written for the end of the world. Uh day well, day plan, five songs written for the end of the world. I want to make sure I get that whole thing in there. And five and four are not spelled out. They are the numbers, so <laughs> It's a very... Uh, I went for literal when I named it. Yeah, and you're a planner. You got five songs written for the end of the... You know, it's all, it's all, it's all there. It's all there. Uh, that's great stuff, Izzy. It's been such a, a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for being so open and willing to talk about um, your journey, which is really an amazing part of who you are and, I, and, and what you're doing right now. And um, your music is just, um, it's just fantastic. And I'm, I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing, man. Well, thank you so much, dude. It was really, thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. It was my pleasure. I was so glad that you come on the show, Izzy. Thanks so much, man. Good luck, and I hope to see you out there soon. Yeah, you too, man. Cheers. Okay, that was me talking to the wonderful Izzy Heltai. I was so glad that Izzy uh, could share some time to sit down and chat with me. Um, just, you know, the things that really struck me were his, you know, just authenticity, compassion, and thoughtfulness. And he's just a, a cool human to talk to as well. Uh, really, really uh, enjoyed his uh, DIY spirit, having gotten uh, out there playing coffee shops, open mics as much as he could, really loves his song craft and really just wanted to do it his own way and was going to play rooms, whether there were five people there or a hundred people there or what have you across the road as he drove his van uh, from Massachusetts as far west as Wyoming. And I think he 
even farther as well uh, when he was just 18 years old. And then uh, having played Newport Folk in 2022, when his parents had been taking him to Newport Folk, that's just the ultimate full circle moment. And even at that, uh, after he played Newport Folk, the Folk set, or I'm sorry, the Fest set at Newport Folk in 2022, he also played uh, the after show with Marcus Mumford and Nathaniel Rateliff. Uh, just some amazing stuff. But of course, uh, you know, I'd spoken to him just after he played at that Love Rising benefit at the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville. Uh, and just absolutely uh, stunning, stunning um, story of Izzy not only playing in front of a huge arena of 20,000 people, like I mentioned, and we talked about, um, but also the reason why he was there uh, as a trans person and the struggles that he had gone through uh, throughout his young life as well. And, um, you know, while he was reflecting during our interview on the impact that these anti-trans laws have uh, to youth in Tennessee, he talked about how as a trans person, person, but someone who's now older at age 24, uh, he certainly would have been deeply and personally affected by this legislation had he been a young person in Tennessee right now and has uh, a huge level of empathy for those that are being affected by those uh, by those anti-trans laws uh, targeting trans youth, as do I and as do so many other people. Um, but to really get the personal impact, you know, Izzy said that had he lived, had he, were he young right now at that time, he would be dead, quote unquote. He said, I wouldn't have questioned killing myself back then had those laws been in place. Um, that's profound. And to understand that impact and then understand that there are youths that are considering suicide because of laws that are targeted against them, um, making it difficult for them to become the people that they really feel that they are. Um, <clears throat> Izzy talked about as he struggled with dysphoria as a young person, it was really a crash course in how to be authentic. Um, I wanted to read a quote that I that I found that I didn't have a chance to read back to Izzy during the show, uh, but this is a quote from Izzy. He says, as a transgender person, I've always lived in a world where self-affirmation was necessary for my well-being. As a young trans person, he said, I was forced to know myself more than some people ever will. A world that had always told me I shouldn't and couldn't exist demanded that I have confidence enough in my own identity that I could go out and prove that I knew exactly who I was. Due to my experiences, I was armed with the tools to radically reflect and affirm my identity from a young age. This instilled in me an obsession with knowing myself to the fullest at any given moment. I am made up of moments. I live in the constant wake of what was. Such an amazing quote. Um, but we talked around that quite a bit and that struggle to become the person that you are and um, how there are others that are struggling right now that are younger than Izzy or to, at a different point in their own personal development than Izzy is right now if they are trans people. Um, you know, he talked about one thing he'd like to do in his life and uh, he said he'd like to make one person feel less alone. Uh, he said because not being alone is such an important part of the human experience experience. And I, um, I couldn't agree with that more. And I'm so glad that I got to talk to Izzy about that and how these laws are affecting, um, 
are affecting trans youth and what his thoughts were on that. And also just to talk about authenticity, because as reflected in that quote of what we talked about, that's really at the basis of what Izzy does in his own artistic expression. Um, not to mention he's an amazing road dog, loves being on the road, loves meeting people, loves seeing new places and things. And uh, that's why he's going to be so successful. And uh, he has a debut album or his debut EP released back in 2021 entitled Day Plan, five songs written for the end of the world is just really, really lovely. Neil Folk, um, I just absolutely love it. It's so incredibly authentic and real. Uh, Please go out and check that out. He's got two new singles out as well. Running entitled one is entitled Running Out and the other is entitled All of This Beauty. It is just absolutely just wonderful stuff. And he'll be at Outside Lands in San Francisco uh this coming August as well. So my Barry a my Bay Area listeners can go and see him there. Uh thanks again for being here for this really compelling and important interview with the amazing and uh incredible human. Izzy Heltai, thanks so much for being here. And I want to send a special thank you to Izzy Heltai for being here on this episode of Road Cakes. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at Roadcase Pod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road. Yeah.